Uh, Last weekend, uh, Pastor Randy started off a new teaching series uh, entitled A Life of Generosity. And uh, Sarah and I uh, were excited to be here that weekend, although uh, some of you remember the big wins we got that day, right? We were in Frankenmuth finishing up some coaching and training for pastors and church leaders uh, there, and uh, our flight was canceled. So we had a little change of plans, but I got a chance to watch your sermon, Randy, on our YouTube channel. So that was awesome to help me get ready for today as we lean into the second part of that. But before we jump into that, I wanted to, to uh, tell you a story. There was a, um, an elderly lady on one occasion, who was pulled over for a traffic violation. All right, so the police officer pulled her over to the side of the road, got out of the car, went up and approached the window and said to her, ma'am, do you know why I pulled you over? And kind of confused, she said, no, I have no idea why you pulled me over. And he said, well, do you know how fast you were driving? And she said, yeah, I know exactly how fast I was driving. I was driving 70. And he said, well, that's the problem. You see, this is a 45 mile an hour zone. She said, no, officer, I, I very clearly saw on the sign, we, it was 70. He said, this is Highway 70. That wasn't the speed limit, that was the highway sign. And at that point, he kind of noticed in the back of the vehicle, she had a few passengers, her eyes were kind of wide, and they said, you should have seen her on Highway 129. <laughs> <laughs> right? Now, I don't know if that's a, uh, an actual story or not, but I've heard it told a few times before. The point of it would be to say uh, numbers matter. Uh, numbers are important whether you are driving and trying to avoid getting pulled over like that or whether you are a traffic officer enforcing the speed limit. Numbers matter whether you are a mortgage broker or a math teacher. And we're going to talk today about the importance of numbers, including the way they played a role in the church that was gathered in Corinth, to which Paul was writing, and this is the basis of our uh, time in God's Word today and last week and next week from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The title of our series, as I said before, A Life of Generosity, and today as we look at the first part of chapter 9, focusing on the theme, Are You Ready? What we learned uh, already, looking through uh, the, the story of the Corinthian church, is uh, the Corinthians were actually a very affluent group of people. They were located, their city was, on the coast of what we know of as Greece today. And as a result, uh, they received a massive amount of wealth and influence from the shipping and trading industry, similar today to places like uh, New York or Tokyo or even London, uh, cities that developed Uh, based on the commerce that passed through them. And from what we can gather from the New Testament, uh, the Corinthians uh, loved to spend all that money that they earned, but weren't necessarily as disciplined when it came to their generosity. So we're going to learn today about the numbers they were dealing with and the numbers then that God calls us to consider in our life of generosity as well. And to approach that, I want you to think about what kind of spender you are. I've given you a few examples here, different kinds of spenders. Maybe you are an impulsive spender. An impulsive spender would be somebody who goes to the store, let's say you need some new socks, right? So you have a plan, you go to the store to buy some new socks, but then you look at the sale rack and you see there there is a a beautiful pair of pants that's 50% off. It's normally $120, some nice pants, right? And you can get it for $60. So even though you don't need new pants, you buy the new pants because it's such a deal. You go home, you tell your spouse, hey, I just saved us a bunch of money. 
right? $60. And your spouse says, but you don't need those pants. You actually spent $60. Maybe some of you are impulsive spenders, right? Okay, some of you are volunteering already. That's a, <laughs> right? Maybe you're a revenge spender, right? A revenge spender is someone who maybe is married and their spouse is really uh, tightly controlling the budget, doesn't want to spend, wants to save, you know, those kind of people. And so maybe uh, this person goes to Vegas with a group of friends and says, you know what? Uh, my spouse isn't around. I'm going to take all this money. I'm going to get the nicest hotel, get the nicest food. I'm going to go hit the floors and see what I can do uh, because there's just this impulse to splurge uh, out of revenge, right? Maybe some of you are kind of driven by that motivation. How about bored spenders, right? Bored spenders are people who just shop because they don't know what else to do with their time, right? Whether you're scrolling through Amazon or your favorite online store, you're going to the store just to browse and buy things. The story's told of a, a woman who had a problem with boredom spending uh, and actually lost her wallet, and uh, someone asked her husband, did you cancel all your credit cards? And he said, no, the thieves spend less than she did. <laughs> that may be a little gender stereotyping. I apologize for that, right? But it was just an interesting way to laugh about it. Some of you Maybe just find yourself spending just because you don't have anything better to do. Or maybe uh, you would fall in the status spender category. This starts even when we're very, very young, right? You're maybe in school and you see your friends have a new pair of shoes and you're like, man, my shoes are junk. I want those new shoes. Or maybe they have a new iPhone or a new computer or whatever else is new. Maybe it's not just kids, it's adults. You see a coworker, neighbor, or a friend get a brand new car and you're like, man, my car's a piece of junk. And so to keep up with fill in the blank, you just have to keep on spending. Today, what I want to do is invite you, whatever category you're in, to also consider how God invites us to become generous spenders. That is, those who use what we have, know that it's entrusted to, by us, or to us by God, and then gladly and freely give and share. Uh, because we know that everything we have ultimately belongs to God and is simply entrusted to us for a time. St. Paul introduces this concept to the Corinthians in chapter 9, verse 5, where he says this, So I thought it necessary to the brothers, uh, to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and arrange to finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift and not as one grudgingly given. Right, Paul is teaching uh, the Christians the discipline of planning ahead of time and being intentional with their generosity. He's not trying to manipulate them or coerce them into giving something that they otherwise don't want to give, but he's reminding them of their intent and he's challenging them to follow through on what they had promised. So learning from Paul and the Corinthians, uh, we're going to discover that a generous spender, first and foremost, prepares ahead of time for what God is already motivating in your heart to give. So again, back to chapter 9 in 2 Corinthians, it starts out this way. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. For I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you in Achaia were ready to give. Now, just a quick little background on what this is about. Here's a map of what the first century uh, countries and cities might have looked like. You've got uh, Asia is modern-day Turkey. Actually, it's part of the continent of Asia. You've got Macedonia, 
up in part of what is Macedonian Greek today. And then down uh, near Athens was where Corinth was on the other side of that peninsula in what was called Achaia. Right? And Paul traveled around these places multiple times planting churches. And on the occasion of 2 Corinthians, he's writing to them from Macedonia in anticipation of visiting them one more time before he takes a large collection that he'd been raising up for years, actually, to the saints who were in Jerusalem who were undergoing famine and persecution. Right? So throughout Paul's letters, we see him working towards this goal. Here it starts in Galatians chapter 2. All the way back in the years 44 to 47, sometime in there, he writes, James and Cephas, that's the Hebrew name for uh, Peter, and John, those who were esteemed as pillars, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles. He's talking about himself uh, together with his companion Barnabas. And, And he adds, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. Uh, Jump forward a few years later, and Paul's writing to the Corinthians his first letter that we have in our Bibles. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. We just read his letter to the Galatians. On the first day, and then he goes on to say, here's what you should do. You should set aside a certain amount so that when I come, we're not asking you to dig into your pockets or raid your piggy bank and come up with the money, but you have prepared in advance and you've set aside an amount and are gladly and eager to give at that time. Then, he adds, when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Uh, One more stop then in Romans chapter 15. Uh, About a year or so later, uh, Paul writes, Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia, these two places we're talking about today, they were pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. So writing after 2 Corinthians, probably from Corinth, he's saying, all right, I've got the gift gathered already, and I'm going to send it with those authorized representatives. And if you go back to the book of Acts, what you'll learn is he he took it to Jerusalem, presented it there, and that was about the same time that he was arrested, and then eventually spent the rest of the book of Acts in prison, whether in Caesarea Philippi, or then eventually in Rome. So this comes at the late uh, stage of his life and his ministry, And it took several years as he was gathering up this generous gift for the sake of those who had need in Jerusalem. And it's about that gift then that he says to the Corinthians, I know your eagerness to help uh, and that last time when I was there, you were ready to give and I've been telling other Christians about it. So they had committed themselves to something. They intended to give a gift and Paul's trying to encourage them to follow through. So continuing in verse 2. Your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. So he's reminding them how excited they got last time he was there, the plan and the commitment they made. Actually, interestingly, five times throughout this section of Scripture, Paul uses verbs and words that describe planning ahead of time, being prepared ahead of time. He's trying to remind them that this is a discipline of those who practice generous living. And then verses 4 and 5. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and then to finish the arraignments for the generous gift that you had promised. Paul wanted them to finish what they'd started. Now Paul doesn't quote here this familiar uh, proverb or wisdom, but maybe you know this well. Read this with me off the screens. 
those who fail to plan, plan to fail. Right? That's attributed to Benjamin Franklin and then later Winston Churchill. A lot of others have said it. It's not uh, uncommon. Those who plan or who fail to plan, plan to fail. That is to say, if you don't decide ahead of time when it comes to every aspect of your life, but especially generosity, what God is nudging and nurturing in you to give, then when it comes to the moment, you'll probably not give joyfully and freely, and certainly not to the degree that God might be calling you. So think, for example, somebody comes by your door and they're selling uh, cookies or wreaths or uh, newspaper subscriptions in your neighborhood, and you don't have any plan to buy them, but you're kind of sort of motivated. You you reach in your pocket or you think about maybe what's in your checkbook, and you usually do something maybe, but maybe something small. Or maybe you've been in a church service, for example, where some, maybe some of you today say so you had just $20 left in your pocket, and you're like, oh, man, i got to do something. So you drop it in there, but you're like, I really wanted to use that for lunch today at Portillo's. And so when you're giving, you're not giving out of joy. You're giving reluctantly, maybe even begrudgingly, because you had not planned ahead of time what God was nudging you to do. Today we want you to begin to think about your generosity from that perspective, preparing in advance. And later on this year, we're going to invite all of you who are regular and committed here to make a pledge for 2023, uh, what God is nudging and nurturing in your heart to give and to do. So the first thing is preparing ahead of time. The second would be uh, generous spenders do not believe the myth of more. Right? What is the myth of of more. It would be something like this. Having more stuff will make me happy. Maybe you've thought that. If I just have one more uh, toy, I'll be happy. If I have one more set of clothes, I'll be happy. One more of whatever. This is what advertising is based off of, right? Targeted digital marketing. You search for something, and then it shows up on your newsfeed, and you're like, how do they know I need a new set of knives? Well, you Googled it up, and there it is in front of you. Or maybe it's the holiday advertising that comes to your house in the mail or in the paper, and you're told that if you want to be a good parent or grandparent, you need to buy your kids all these new things, and then they see them. I remember this as a kid, and I'm like circling every other item, like I need this, right? It's this myth that if I just have more, then I'll be happier. Or something similar, having more things will make me more important, right? If I just accumulate more, then that says something about my value. My valuables determine my value. Or maybe this is the aspect of the myth of more that strikes you. Having more will help you feel more safe and secure. Maybe you watch the stock market and you've seen it kind of having a rough year this year, and then you've looked at your spending at the local grocery and you've seen your spending going up as eggs cost like $5 or whatever it is, $3.50 now, and they used to be a 99 cents, and you're starting to worry, like, will I have enough just to put food on my table or to retire in the way that I had planned? Maybe you've fallen into the myth to say, if I just have more in my bank and more in my savings account, then my future will be secure. Generous spenders don't fall for any of those traps. Instead, they take seriously what Paul says here in verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Those who are generous spenders and who give like God inspires and encourages us to give realizes that when we hold on to the things we have as if they belong to us and our hope and security and value is found in them, uh, we end up with far less than if we were to hold on loosely, 
give freely and generously, and then discover that God never fails to supply all that we need and abundantly more. It's like sowing a seed. You cast it in the soil, trusting that one day it'll grow and produce fruit. Generous givers have discovered that holding on to an accumulating stuff doesn't give us value, joy, or security. Instead, that comes from God himself. And our third point, generous spenders then are imitating God. Uh, Last few verses from 2 Corinthians, then it will be ready as a generous gift, not one grudgingly given. We saw that before. And then verse 7, each of you then should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. If uh, if you're an analytical type person and you love to like track numbers and trends and data, uh, sometime you might uh, do some word searches in the Bible and figure out which words are used the most and what does that mean. If you're ever to do that and search for the word, for example, believe or faith, same root word in the biblical languages, you'd find it's used like 272 times. Right? The Bible, in large part, is about having faith, believing in God, uh, the one who sent his son Jesus to suffer, die, rise from the dead, and give us new life. Right? That's an important theme. Or you might look for a word like pray, used 371 times. Right? And maybe you've discovered how important prayer is to connecting with God and then also to hearing from him. Uh, you might also look for the word love, for God so loved the world. Right? And love your neighbor as yourself, also 371 times, interestingly. Um, maybe you're curious, how many times does the Bible use the word give? Right? The answer is a little over 2,000 times. The Bible is ultimately a book about giving. First and foremost, the giving that God directs towards us, giving us life and breath, giving us every single day, giving us health, giving us family, giving us all that we have, sending his one and only son, giving him over to death so that we might rise and live eternally. God gives and gives and gives and never stops. And then he invites us as we become more like Jesus to approach him with the same posture, giving joyfully and generously. Uh, Consider what else Paul has written in 2 Corinthians. These are some verses maybe you know well, we'll see. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ Jesus. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Or this one, verse, chapter 12, verse 9. This one has meant a lot to me in the last season. Paul says the words of Jesus to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Imagine all of these promises that God has spoken. They are yes in Christ Jesus. He's a God who loves to give. And when we receive this from him, something happens. We are changed, transformed to become more like him. As we imitate him, we imitate also his posture of generosity, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but cheerfully, as God has given to us cheerfully. So what kind of giver are you? What kind of spender are you? Do you fall into the traps of, uh, of reward or revenge spending, boredom spending, status, or impulsive spending? Or have you discovered or begun to discover what it means to be a generous spender? How do we make progress there? It's not actually that hard. As Paul says, generous spenders, they delight in Christ who spend everything for us. 
And as his generosity flows into you, you will become more like him. Amen.